Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's word together. Hope you had a great weekend, all of you in the U.S. who had an extra day off. Uh, Ken up there in uh, the northern part of the world. I don't suppose you got yesterday off, did you? Well, glad to have you all with us. Uh, hey, Megan. Good morning. Martha D. And uh, Edgar, nice to see you. So, yep, we're back in Romans today, and we're still... We're still working our way through this section, kind of uh, chapter 3, verses 19 through 26. And there's a lot here. Paul packed a lot of important information in these verses. And translation is hard. As I continue to go through this uh, and think about what makes the most sense in light of the argument that's being presented, I realize why uh, translators... Translate it differently. Your theological presuppositions impact how you translate it from the Greek. Your uh, understanding of the flow of the argument uh, certainly impacts it. And uh, so I'm going to go slowly enough to try to show you the different options and why I land where I do. So that's what we're doing here today. Uh, yes, Dale has a lot of righteousness to be revealed. Uh, bonjour, Caitlin. Good to have you with us. Uh, Ken says, we did have Labor Day as a holiday, but I was working anyway. Oh, so you guys, huh, very good. I didn't know that. All right, so remember what we've seen thus far in Romans. Uh, Paul makes this statement at the beginning. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the good news. Why? For it, the, the good news, the gospel, it is the power of God for salvation. So God's power or might that saves someone is the good news. It's to the Jew first and also to the Greek, so Jew or Gentile. Why? Why is the good news the power of God for salvation? Verse 17, for, because, in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith to faith. If you were with us last week, you might be asking, could this be from faithfulness to faithfulness? As it is written, the righteous shall live by faithfulness. If you were with us at the very beginning when we looked at that. So God's righteousness is revealed in the gospel. And then he spends the next couple of chapters showing God's righteousness in terms of condemning sin, right? You've been with us. That's been the whole flow of the argument all the way through. Sin will be condemned. It is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers, that kind of thing, right? So, and then he, in chapter three, the earlier part, he quotes from the Old Testament to show the, the Gentiles are condemned, but so are the Jews. The Jews are equally unrighteous before God. So then in verse 19 of chapter 3, he says, 
and we've known or now but we've known that whatever the law says it speaks to those who are in the law literally that would be the Jews and why does the law speak to those who are in the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God the law was given to make the Jews accountable. The Gentiles, remember, were already accountable. They were guilty. Everybody understood that. But the Jews were given the law to show that they too were accountable to God. They too were guilty. Because by the works of the law, no flesh, no circumcised one, will be justified in God's sight. Why? For through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law simply exposed the sin of the Jews. Which, what is the right response of God to a lawbreaker? How does God demonstrate righteousness towards someone who breaks his law. What was the status of the Jews? What was, what, was the, uh, what was God going to do to the Jews who broke, their law, broke his law? His righteousness would be his righteous condemnation. Right? We saw that earlier in chapter 3. God is not unrighteous when he pours out his wrath, is he? Right? So that's what the expectation is. The law exposed the sin of the Jews. And one would expect then God to pour out his wrath upon the Jews for their sin. That's the point he's been making. So then we get to verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. At this point, we don't have any, I was going to say justification, <laughs> which, which is appropriate. We don't have any justification to think that righteousness of God means anything other than his right justice against sin. There's no reason to think he's changed his definition of righteousness of God here. So God's righteous wrath, his con condemnation against sin, has been manifested apart from the law. So the law, law pronounced the Jews guilty, and you would expect God's righteous wrath, but now there's a righteousness of God that's revealed that's not from the law. Although the law and the prophets witnessed to it. So whatever this righteous judgment of God that Paul's talking about is, it's not from the law, but the law and the prophets bore witness to it. They, they uh, pointed toward it, something like that. Even, or and, the righteousness, or but, the righteousness of God by means of the faithfulness, if you've been with us, you know, that's the uh, translation I'm arguing for. By means of the faithfulness of Jesus, Messiah, for all those who believe. 
So there is a righteous display or a, uh, a revealing of God's righteous judgment through the faithfulness of Jesus. That's what I think he's getting at here. You seeing that? It's not from the law. It's from the faithfulness of Jesus, the Messiah. And that righteous display of God's wrath is for all who believe. But there's no distinction. For all of sin fall short of the glory of God. Now, I want to jump down here and see how he concludes this little paragraph to ask some questions or introduce some concepts. Because again, I'm, uh, there's, some, there's a lot of stuff in here. And I'm just trying to go slow enough that we see all the nuances. Uh, I can't spell, um, hang on, hang on, <laughs> okay, hang on. Uh, don't let your preconceived theological conclusions get in the way of really looking carefully at the text here. So look what he says here in verse 26, uh, and you see the I say is in italics, that means it's not in the original. Uh, he describes here God's righteousness at the present time. So this righteousness that is apart from the law, that is through the faithfulness of Jesus, it's at the time that Paul's writing it. It's at, there's a now here uh, idea. Um, in, the, in the Greek, it, it says, let me find it. Well, I'm not going not gonna to put it up. I'm not going to waste time. But it's in, in the now, in the present time, is this, uh, this phrase here. And this demonstration of his righteousness that Paul says now in the present time in Paul's day is so that he, God, might be just or would be just and the justifier And the English here says, of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the same phrase to use earlier. I still think this is the faithfulness of Jesus. I think he's saying, so that God would be just and the justifier. He would be the just and the one who justifies from the faithfulness of Jesus. All the way through this, the faithfulness of Jesus is put on display in contrast to the law. So these two words, just and justifier. This revealing of God's righteousness enables God to be just and the one who justifies. Okay, so let's define our terms. The one who justifies, what does it mean to justify? How would you answer that question? What does it mean to justify? When he says God is the one who justifies, what does that term justify mean? Do you know? What does it mean to justify? And then maybe a follow-up question. Can you give um, biblical, and I would say in Romans, can you give an example in Romans of that's what it, that that's what it means? Uh, Cliff says to declare not guilty. 
Megan says to make right or to pardon. Now, interesting, we use the word pardon all the time, don't we? Uh, we, we sang Great Is Thy Faithfulness uh, recently at our home fellowship. And uh, what's that line? Um, I can't remember the phrase now. But anyway, we use the word pardon. Strictly speaking, pardon says you're guilty, but I'm not going to punish you, right? That's not quite the same thing as justify. Uh, it, it's saying you deserve wrath and I'm going to not pour out the punishment on you. Dale says to show something to be good or appropriate to justify your actions. Okay, um, we do use it that way and so does the Bible to vindicate kind of thing. Uh, Cliff again says to declare not guilty. Let me show you how Paul used it in chapter two. It is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So if you stand before a judge, uh, if you stand before, yeah, thanks, Ken. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Yes, uh, that's what I was thinking of. So you stand before the judge and you are, your actions are weighed against what the law demands. If you did the law, if you kept the law, if you obeyed it, then the court would declare you just. That's what it means to justify. Now, it has other meanings, other nuances. Dale got one, and uh, we certainly see that in the book of James, and Jesus, Jesus uses it the other way. But in this context, when there's law involved, it usually means that the court declares you righteous. You did what the law demanded. Okay, you track with me? That's what he said. The doers of the law will be justified. If you broke the law, you can't be declared righteous because you're not righteous. You can receive a pardon so that you don't receive the punishment, but that's not the same thing as saying before the law, you are right. See that? All right, so go back to chapter three then. At now, Paul says, in this season, God is just and the one who justifies. So God declares you righteous. That's the justifier part. But he's also just. Now, how can that be? What has he said about all men, Jews and Gentiles? All sinned and come short of or lack the glory of God. All have sinned. He has labored the point that all have sinned. And therefore, the, the righteousness of God, God's justice demands that he punish sinners. So how can he be just and at the same time justify, declare righteous the sinner? It seems like a hopeless situation, doesn't it? If God is just, then he is going to reveal his righteousness, his justice, and punish sinners. And if you are a sinner, God can't declare you righteous because that would be unjust. So whatever we make of all of uh, 21 through 26 here, 
it has to lead to the conclusion that as God demonstrates his righteousness in the time that Paul's writing, that that demonstration of his righteousness is such that God can be just and the justifier uh, through the faithfulness of Jesus. I, I said that almost like in passing. Let me not say that in passing. That he can be just and justifier from the faithfulness of Jesus. So something about Jesus' faithfulness is the demonstration of God so that he is just and justifier. He, he is righteous and he declares righteous sinners. Tracking with me? All right, so let's go back then and see if these phrases make more sense than that. So, now apart from the law, without the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's not from the law, but it's witnessed by the law and the prophets. And the righteousness by means of the faithfulness of Jesus, Messiah, for all who believe, for there's no distinction, all have sinned, Jews and Gentiles, and all lack the glory of God or fall short of the glory of God. And here's the word again, being justified. So those who have sinned, that this, uh, I think I mentioned this Friday, but this word, uh, this, this phrase, being justified, in the Greek, it's very clear, it's modifying the all have sinned. So all have sinned, but those same group of people, those sinners, are justified, are declared righteous. A gift. There's a gift. So this being declared righteous is a gift by his grace. It's almost a redundancy, isn't it? Every gift is given by grace. If it's given because of your merit, then it's not a gift. Uh, there's a sense in which there's no need to thank your boss for your paycheck because he's not giving you a gift. He's giving you what you've earned because you have a contractual agreement with him that you will do this work and he'll pay you. But a bonus, if it's truly a bonus and it's not based on uh, how many sales you made or whatever, that's a gift. So being justified, a gift by his grace, by means of or through the redemption which is in Messiah, Jesus. So justification is a gift. The motivation is grace. It comes through redemption, and we'll, we'll talk more about that term probably tomorrow, which is in or by, could be by, redemption which is in or by Messiah, Jesus, whom, Jesus, whom God set forth a propitiation. There's a word you don't use every day. We'll have to come back and look at that, see what that word means too. So this gift of justification that is by means of redemption by Messiah, Jesus, whom, and God put him, set him forth 
a propitiation. So Jesus is set forth a propitiation by means of faithfulness, by his blood. I know the English here says, in his blood through faith, but this is exactly the same phrase that is used earlier for the faithfulness. And he's talking about Jesus. Jesus, whom God set forth a propitiation by means of faithfulness. I think it's Jesus' faithfulness is the means by which he is the propitiation by his blood for a demonstration of his righteousness. Jesus' faithfulness is how God displayed his righteousness which leads to God being able to be both just and justifier of sinners. So there's something about he's a propitiation or he's set forth as a propitiation by means of his faithfulness in or by his blood for a display, a demonstration. It's, it's evidence, it's proof, it's out there public uh, corroboration kind of thing of his righteousness on account of or because of he passed over over the overlooking of sins passed over in God's or by God's forbearance what sins were passed over in God's forbearance. What's he talking about here? God is a forbearing God, and he passed over sins previously committed. And this is all tied together here. So justification is a gift by grace, through redemption. I'm getting caught up in the Greek and the English here. <laughs> through the redemption, by means of the redemption, uh, that which is in Messiah, Jesus. Jesus, whom God set forth, a propitiation by means of faithfulness, by his blood, into a demonstration of his righteousness, on account of the overlooking of the sins previously committed in the forbearance of God toward the demonstration of his righteousness now in the current season, in the present season, for which to be, for which him to be righteous and justifier from the faithfulness of Jesus. Now, that's a very wooden literal translation. And tomorrow, I'll maybe I'll type that out and, and show you uh, what I think the, the translation should be. Do you see the, the emphasis on the faithfulness of Jesus? There's previous sins that God passed over, and now God has displayed Jesus publicly as the propitiation in or by his blood 
by means of his faithfulness. And this demonstrates, this puts on display God's righteousness. However God, is, uh, however God displays Jesus publicly as a propitiation, that is how God displays his righteousness. And again, we don't have any rationalization from the text to take his righteousness as anything other than his righteous judgment on sin, in my opinion. I don't see anything in the text that would suggest that. So something about Jesus being put on display and this redemption is how God demonstrates his righteous justice on sins previously committed. It allows him to be both just and the justifier, and it's through the faithfulness of Jesus. All right, I think I have at least alluded, at least addressed, and quickly at least, all the, all the phrases in this text and, and kind of shown the, the meaning as we unpack it. So tomorrow we'll come back and we'll look at a couple more and uh, a couple, couple other things and then put it all together and I'll at least present what I think the point is going through here. Uh, Dale says, not to totally derail, feel free to ignore uh, but are you of the view that atonement equals propitiation or the atonement merely covers, passes over while... Pre- oh, good question. Uh, we will discuss that tomorrow. If you want to read ahead, uh, look at Leviticus chapter 16. Read the whole thing several times. And if you see the word mercy seat or atonement or cover, uh, those words are the same word that is used here uh, propitiation. So look, and, and when you see mercy seat, cover, atonement, if you see those words that being on your translation, it's the same word here, same Greek word as propitiation, and see if you can draw a connection between God displaying Jesus as a propitiation and how propitiation is used, or mercy seat, or atonement, how it's used in Leviticus 16, what was going on in that ceremony of the priests and the Levites, what uh, we call Yom Kippur. All right, we're going to leave it there for now. We're ready to put it all together tomorrow. Join us and we will see if we can come to some conclusions. Have a great day. We'll see you then.